You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network and currently sponsored by our good friends over at Pro Prep. As always, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and on this week's edition of the Canton and Simiou show, I'm joined by Tom Canton. Surprise, surprise, Tom. No, surely not. (laughs) Yeah, good. Very good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, all good, man. All good. Trying to get back into the swing of things after the, like a weird few days in between Christmas and New Year. I'm finding it hard. How about you? Yeah, it's that weird week, isn't it, where you don't really know what's what's happening. I mean, I'm working tomorrow and Saturday, so I, I mean, I'm not really going to get much of a New Year's. But we're going out for a meal in the evening, uh, barring any you know stuff mm. from the outside, of course. But uh, yeah, no, it should be good. Any plans for tomorrow evening? Not really. Um, I've got to be honest. I, you know, the problem is when you've got two kids of, of my one's ages, it, it becomes more hassle than it's worth to sort mm. out someone to look after them and, and all of that. I'd be quite happy with a nice takeaway bit of TV and the kids to sleep. That's all I want. I don't, don't ask for much. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know about that second part yet. So uh, one day, one day. When you get there, trust me, you will appreciate sleep more than you <laughs> ever thought you would. Uh, it, it really is a thing. <laughs> Lots to get into uh, on this edition of the show with, of course, the game against Manchester City just around the corner. Now, let's start with the situation surrounding this game, Tom, because it's not ideal for Arsenal. We've heard in the last couple of days that Mikel Arteta will be missing, will be absent due to having tested positive for covid we understand that Albert Stuyvenberg, 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 depending on how you want to say it, yeah. aka the AirPods man, mm. uh, will be taking charge of the team. First of all, is there a case that says that Arsenal should be trying to get this game postponed? Because we were just talking off air and reports have come to light today at the time of recording, um, on Thursday that is, that there are a number of cases within the coaching staff. And it's so, mm. it's, it's so bad that Per Mertesacker has been asked to come downstairs basically and help out on the bench yeah uh, i i'm not sure is the honest answer i don't really know because it's impossible to know how well the, the team will be prepared with or without the staff in a few days obviously it's going to have some impacts like you'd imagine him just not being there is going to have some kind of impact on the team's preparedness but i just have a feeling like i'm, do- I'm not really keen to to have the game postponed uh, and that maybe that's selfish maybe that's me coming from the perspective of not having to you know kick the can of a game against manchester city down the road but i feel like when it's not an issue with the players uh, obviously we've got a couple tommy Asu is, is is a big miss but i do feel like you know there's the opportunity here to to get at city a city side that are going to be without a couple of their key players like Carl walker rodri rodri is a huge miss for them it could mean that fernandinho has to play you know another game in the space of a fair few days at 36 which isn't going to be easy so i kind of do just want to go and play it i'm not too keen on having another game postponed but if if the reason for its postponement is because of you know health and safety, then there's not really an argument to go against that, to be honest. Yeah, I agree with you. It's 
It's one of those fixtures for me, and, and we discussed this ahead of the Liverpool game while we were talking about whether or not it was a free hit. Mm. I don't see Man City as a free hit. I see Man City, though, as a game that you shouldn't lose your mind over and a game that no mm. matter how good a moment we're in, as Mikel Arteta would put it, I still don't make us favourites or anywhere near it. So I kind of am at a, in a place myself where I'd just rather get this game out of the way and, and just be done with it. Because it is a game that you look at and it's no matter how well Arsenal are playing, it's really hard to look at and say, well, we should be taking something for that, right? The golf and class between the two sides is that big, isn't it? Mm, yeah, I mean, look, Man City are the best side in the league, arguably in the world right now. Only Bayern, I think of as a team that could probably best them. And even then they'd have a very good shot of winning. So, look, I think that it's a side where we're going to see the progression from the 5-0 at the Etihad. We're going to see how much of a monster the Emirates crowd has become this season. I mean, besides City, we're the highest point scoring team in, our, in for a home record. I think only Spurs have got the same amount and they played one more game than us. So I think you have to look at this as an opportunity to use that momentum of the last few games, use a lot of kind of the tactics and the, the style and system that we've been using in the last few games with Lacazette coming in for Aubameyang and how that's kind of worked out with Erdegaard, etc. There are some selection decisions to make. I was just doing the preview show on my channel and uh, one of our members, Chris, raised a really good point about Emil Smith-Rowe and kind of looking at his XG statistics and how he's really outperforming his XG in terms of goals. And at the moment, if you give the guy a chance, he's tending to put those away. And there's an argument to say, do you then put someone in like that against Manchester City, who you get few chances against, that if a chance does fall to him, there's a good chance that he's going to take it. And I suppose that's one of the decisions that... Arteta will have to deliver to whoever's going to be taking charge of the game, of course, on Saturday. I mean, would you be tempted to make some tactical switches or would you kind of go with what we have against Norwich? It's a hard one for me. I don't think I'd change it tactically in terms of the shape or the system. Mm. I think that that should be relatively consistent to what we've seen in, in recent weeks and months. The idea of bringing Smith-Rowe in is not one I'm against because of, obviously, the fact that He's a top quality player. He's had a really good season so far. He's been coming off the bench and impacting games. But it just feels like a little bit, Yeah, you know, I, I guess this is part and parcel of the modern game, right? There will come a point where you have to be harsh to people. You have to drop people even when they don't necessarily deserve it. And I think that if you were to leave Martinelli out, that would very much be the case. You'd be taking somebody out who doesn't deserve mm. it. Um I think with Martinelli, it's it's a bit of a different role that he plays to Emil Smith-Rowe, the, the way I see it anyway. I think that Martinelli is a left forward rather than a left winger. And, and Emil Smith-Rowe is someone who plays predominantly from the left, starts from the left when he plays in that mm. position, but will always look to drift into slightly different areas than Martinelli. So I think it depends on the tactical approach where you feel you can hurt City. And I think Mikel Arteta in the past, and I don't know if you agree with this, mm. has maybe overthought games against Manchester City because of the knowledge he has around a lot of their players and, of course, Pep Guardiola. Would you say that's been an issue when he's come up against them in the past? Probably, yeah. I think he's focused far too much on City and trying to come. I mean, you think about the lineup we used uh, at the Etihad, so we had Kalasnac holding in Chambers uh, and Cedric and Tierney as a back five and Leno. Now, obviously, we didn't have the likes of um, Ben White available because he was injured. We didn't have Gabriel because he was injured. We didn't have Tommy Asso at that point because he'd not yet signed. Um, but I did feel like that was a team that was set up purely to try and combat Manchester City rather than try and play our way. And I think that if you change too much of what we've done over the last few weeks, 
there's going to be confusion, not only because our coaching setup is not going to be there really on, on the sidelines, but we've got the issue whereby if you do tweak it too much, there's going to be confusion. There's going to be questioning between the players, people not sure of the role they've got to play. But if you go out and try and approach the game, playing our, our way, building up from the back, trying to, you know, City are going to press us, but I think we showed with that opening goal against Southampton that we can beat the press. We can play very quick football, passing football and and break out. And we've got players that are now on a, on a level of form that if they're presented with an opportunity, there's a really good chance they're going to take that. So we've just got to try and play to the best of our ability and to how good we've been playing in the last few weeks. Yeah, completely agree. Having said that, you know, we talk about overly changing things to try and... Mm sort of scupper Manchester City, but bringing Emil Smith-Rowe for Martinelli into the side wouldn't fall into that category, would it? It's a fair choice to make, you'd say, from a management perspective. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a fair choice that we go into this game and you're going to see a different style than what we've seen against Norwich and Leeds. It's not going to be the, the full throttle Arsenal that you've seen those weeks because you have to respect the opponent to some degree and, and we are going to absorb pressure at times and wait for our own moments to attack. But, I mean, I remember games at the Emirates against the likes of Man United, against the likes of Chelsea, less so against City, something that we've not really done. Where in the first 10 minutes, we've really gunned it for the opponent and really gone for the throat in the first 10. And I feel like it's a bit of maybe too much respect we paid to City at times. And I feel like you can unsettle them. But as we saw with Brentford last night, if you get a couple of chances, you have to take them. Otherwise, you will get punished. And that's going to be the big question about us on, on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. I think we will create at some point. It's just mm. whether or not we can we're take them. down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, and ensure we're not too leaky at the back. Yeah. Um, Earlier this week, Pep Guardiola was talking about Arsenal. He's been talking about um, the game coming up at the weekend. And he's described Mikel Arteta's Arsenal as the best Arsenal team in the last four or five years. Mm. Now, a part of me expects him to praise his protege, the guy that he's kind of uh, sort of helped along his way in the kind of coaching world. But a part of me feels like he genuinely believes it as well. Um where do you stand on this? Do you think this is Pep paying a lot of respect to his ex-assistant or do you think that Pep genuinely has concerns about what Arsenal can do against City at the weekend? Uh, it's a bit of both. Um, there's always going to be an element that's Pep Guardiola paying respect to Arteta. It's his best he's his best mate, it seems like sometimes. Yeah. like The level of kind of optimism and praise he puts on Arteta is is very much of that of a friend, like in a, in, a, in the, any argument, like if uh, you're trying to wingman your best mate, you're never going to say any bad things about him. It does come across like that and you paint them in a picture that's not necessarily always the case. But I do think that there is an element of um, wariness of an understanding of kind of the the progression that Arsenal have made in the last year. I mean, I was just looking at the the calendar year statistics, something that I think that a lot of people maybe disregard too quickly, but with 24 points better off in 2021 compared to our 2020 record, I think it was 52 across 2020. And then we've got 76 points, uh, only one point behind Liverpool for 2021. And that does show that progression. And clearly we are a different side than the side that faced City just back in August. So yeah, there will be an appreciation from Guardiola and awareness, especially with players like Rodri and Walker not available to him. So I think that there is going to be, it's going to be a tactical battle that, that Arteta hopefully we expect can can try and combat and not overthink like he has done. But I think Pep will, will maybe tweak slightly to what he's done in the past, where in the past he has just said, look, guys, go out there. Arsenal are there for the taking because they have been. I'm hoping that's not going to be the case this time. 
So taking into account that, you know, we we do think that Pep's comments are a bit of both. You know, it is Pep genuinely thinking that Arteta is doing a good job, but also there is that element of loyalty to it. Mm. Has Mikel Arteta in 2021 proved Pep Guardiola right? Proved Pep Guardiola right in the sense of when Guardiola, you know, had spoken previously about Arteta when he was going through a difficult period um, mm. at the back end, at the early stages of the last season. He did keep saying, you know, he will get it right. Just give him the time. Just be patient with him and he will get it right. Has Mikel gone some way in proving Pep right? So, some way. Like, I think it would be naive of me to say that he's he's done nothing. Um, because, I mean, I've, my, my opinion on the manager has kind of shifted from Villarreal, which was move, like, I think a change of manager is probably the right decision here, to me sitting here and saying that if you want him sacked it doesn't make too much sense right now to say that you'd want Arteta sacked because we're sitting fourth in the table and in the semi-final of the cup competition and you know pushing towards our target so I don't think it would make any sense to have that viewpoint and I think that is evidence that clearly things have progressed and that Guardiola said that this was going to be this was going to take time um and, and that certainly is, is has been the case but it's Nothing is won at this point. Nothing's won with the New Year's Eve stage. Like we have to wait and see where we are at the end of the season. And you know, games against Manchester City are great examples to point to of progression. If you can get a point against Manchester City, which is something that we've not done in a very long time. I mean, we've not beaten them since I think 2015 in the league. So if you can get thing, if you can get wins, if you can pick up points in these fixtures, they're things that you can point to to say as evidence that yes. We are progressing. We are moving forward. So hopefully that's the case. But I think Pep will have to probably wait until the end of the season, really, and and we all will, to categorically say whether or not we've progressed this season from last year. Yeah, absolutely. I know people hate using the term process. Um, Mm, It's one that frustrates people. But Pep Guardiola would have been aware, at least to some degree, of what Mikel Arteta's process would have looked like, right? Which Mm. means that although... He was. He's not at a point where you know he's been proven right completely just yet. He was from a. He was in a more educated position than maybe us, who were simply looking at results and what we could see in a ninety-minute period once a week mm. to make that call, wasn't he? Yeah. Look, I, the thing about Arsenal is that when when Emery was sacked and we were in that moment of like a fair few weeks without a coach. I don't think anyone can expect a coach to have come in, be it your Contes, even your Guardiolas, and to have taken that side that Emery left to a Champions League qualification spot. We were in one of the worst places as a team that we've ever been in, in part down to what Emery had done with the players and you know the, the fracture between him and the players, a lot to do with the club and the ownership and how they built this team and the decisions that have been made behind the scenes after removing Arsene Wenger, removing him arguably too late. Um and we were in the club was in an absolute mess. It's like the word crisis gets thrown around a lot, but Arsenal have been and were in a crisis at that point. And appointing a manager with no previous experience is the riskiest, arguably stupidest <laughs> decision that you could have made at that point. And a lot of people like myself are very open to taking a risk. Uh, and I've really wanted it to work. I think a lot of us wanted it to work. And I think a lot of people also felt at the time, you know, rightly, that it was naive. And it was a naive decision to appoint a manager in that situation with no experience because it's a huge, huge gamble. And at the end of last season, it looked like it wasn't gonna, it wasn't paying off and it was never going to pay off. This season and the start of this season has proven that 
there is possibly something to be to get behind to tangibly attach yourself to and to back but it's it's still going to take some more time um and as i said before games like man city that we've got now because we failed the tests against man united we failed the test against everton we failed the test against liverpool anfield we passed a, a, a solid test against west ham the other week but it's these tests that need to be proven to show that we're making genuine progress this season. But I think we have. But again, it's it's about these things and these milestones that we need to check off the list before we can sit here and say, yes, we're moving in the right direction. Good stuff. I mean, taking it back to the, the context around this game and, and we mentioned uh, the COVID cases that have impacted on the coaching staff. Mm. Are you fearful that in the next sort of 24 hours, because Mikel Arteta was due to speak on Thursday. He's now going to be speaking on Friday ahead of the game. But what we've seen over the last few weeks, Tom, is that we've not known about COVID cases within the playing staff mm. until the match day when the team has come out and the news has come out and then the club have confirmed, you know, Ainsley Maitland-Niles or Cedric Suarez or Tommy Asu is out with COVID. Are, is there a part of you that, I know we said earlier on that this might be a chance with a relatively unimpacted squad to have a go at City. Is there a part of you that doesn't want to get carried away from fear that we will get to kick off and learn that there are three or four players again who have who have tested positive with the virus. I feel like the, that the risk is there. Like it's and then we'll be looking back on the conversation we've had now where you've asked me would I postpone the game and I'll be looking pretty silly on the day if we're if we're missing Lacazette and Erdegaard and Partey and whoever because they've they've tested positive. So it's it's a game of chance um, at this stage, and you just don't know because it can happen for City. Like City could have players test positive in the next few days. You just it's impossible to know. And to be honest, I'll be shocked if we don't have anyone else because, as I said at the start, the manager testing positive, and as we talked about on the Arsenal way the other day, like him testing positive, he's the most integral, the most you know influential. Talks to all the players. You see him after matches, shaking hands, hugging. Um, it's it's very likely that we'll see positive tests in the next few days. And Arsenal seem to be due a bit of an outbreak because it seems that everyone bar ourselves have, have been at fault from it. So look, it's, it's, it's an impossible question because really, you just, you don't, you don't know. I mean, do you, do you have any kind of, do you feel in the same way that, that we could find ourselves on match day without three, four key players? Yeah, I do, but I completely agree with you. It's, it's one of those things that we're never going to know what, what was interesting, and I wanted to just quickly pick your brains on, was today the EFL announced that they're going to scrap match day testing to prevent last-minute cancellations mm. uh, or last-minute postponements of fixtures. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I mean, that, seems mad, doesn't it? Yeah, because it, it feels like you're saying, well, we the postponements is a bigger issue than the player safety mm. because we, we'd be quite happy. You'd have thought that the safest way would be to test those players on a match day in mm. the morning to ensure that they are, you know, clear to mix with another team, you know, not just their own people, but with another team and with another club and their staff. So to scrap it just to avoid postponing games or avoid having to postpone games sounds crazy to me, but yeah. is this something you expect the Premier League to potentially adopt? It wouldn't surprise me if the EFL have done it. I mean, it's it's wrong. Um, I mean, you, you, if I was speaking to an EFL representative and I said, "Why? Why are you testing anyway? Like, what is the point of you testing besides match day? What is what is the reason for you doing that?" And if the answer is not well to ensure that the virus doesn't spread, 
then you just follow up with the question, well, why then is it not important or as important to then test on match day? And if the answer is because we don't want match cancellations, the only reason for that is because of, you know, money. Um, I, I was trying to think of another reason, but there's not, is there? It's money. Like money is, is the reason behind it. You could say it's, it's annoying for supporters who've traveled up to games, it's annoying for the, the trying to reschedule things, but there is nothing more important that, than player safety and and the safety of those, not just the players, but the staff and anyone that could be affected, their families, of course, will, which will have vulnerable people within them and their families too. So to scrap the scrap testing just on match day, it's, you know, it's, it's just further evidence of uh, you would go as far as saying as an unethical act, really. Nico says to scrap testing is the epitome of ignorance being bliss. It absolutely mm. is, isn't it? Yeah, I couldn't have put that better. If I can't myself. see the virus, it doesn't exist. Just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I pretend I don't have it, then it doesn't exist. Yeah. Madness. Right. We're going to take some of your questions. Um, we're also going to talk about a transfer link that just isn't going away at the moment. In the meantime, drop your questions in. and I'm going to give you guys a quick message from our sponsors, ProPrep. ProPrep is the perfect study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering or maths related modules and it can half your study time pro prep provide bite-sized videos relevant to the module or course which can be accessed from any device at any time and it's already helped over half a million students to pass their exams they provide customized stem study tools that match your syllabus long lectures are condensed into short and clear video tutorials and after the videos you can go through what you've just learned with interactive exercises and practice questions. You can even submit questions to the pro prep professors and receive a video answer back within 24 hours. And they've created a special offer for listeners of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. All you need to do is head over to proprep.uk slash info slash football for more info. And you can sign up to a free 30 day trial there. Uh, no credit card information is required. That's P-R-O-P-R-E-P uk slash info slash football pro prep the ultimate study tool and we thank them for their sponsorship throughout the month of december um make sure you do check the guys out make sure you also check out the guna talk tv as well uh the link is in the description so click on that give it a subscribe you should be subscribed to both anyway otherwise you'll miss episodes of this show what are you playing at um so get involved uh get your questions coming through and we'll pick out a few of those before we go but before we go on to those questions Tom, let's talk about this transfer rumour that isn't bloody going away. <laughs> and that is Felipe Coutinho, oh, um, a player we <laughs> seem to be linked with yeah. every transfer window now. He's becoming the new like Jan and Villa or Solomon Kalou, where we just seem to be linked every single time. The report says, I think it's from the Daily Mirror that it originates from, Okay, that Mikel Arteta has sanctioned this, that he's willing to make it happen that he wants Felipe Coutinho at Arsenal and that he's given the club the go-ahead to talk with his representatives. Now, this to me feels like it goes against everything that Arsenal are trying to do right now, which is build a new, young, fresh side with mm. without going crazy and allocating too much resource to one specific individual because he will want big, big money where do you stand on this and how true do you think it is just while you're talking there i was trying to find like the original <laughs> report and it appears that it's coming from a an outlet in spain called fishajes uh, oh, no. if i'd it. have known that i wouldn't have even bought it up 
Yes. Uh, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I've covered a few stories of theirs on the transfer shows and I don't, I'm trying to think of one that's come true and uh, <laughs> I'm struggling. Um, but what I would say is that look, the Coutinho story is something that comes up every single window. Um, and it does seem that it is just one that lingers because he's a want away from, from, you know, from Barcelona. They, they're willing to let him go. I think that's very obvious. Arsenal are a side that in the past have looked to try and sign a creative player. But I, I just don't think, I, I don't think anyway, that you're ever going to see him join Arsenal. I mean, it's the golden rule of a, journal, a journalist is to never say categorically, you know, this will definitely not or definitely will because football changes so quickly and things can change so fast. But, I, I, you know, I, I'd be fairly willing to go out on a, on a limb and saying that I, I don't think it would ever happen. Um because as you say, it goes against every facet of Arsenal's current strategy that we've seen in the last 18 or so months. So I, I just don't understand why it would take place. But yeah, for Shahed, strikes again. <laughs> yeah, they, if I'd have known that it originated for them, I wouldn't have brought, even brought it up because they're that bad. Honestly, mm. I've covered a load of stories from them as well in the past. And I'll, I'll say it, you know, I've not even... You know, sometimes, and I, I'm sure you've experienced this at some point, although you might not want to say it because you're a lot more professional than me, that there's, <laughs> you, you get you get into a day sometimes and you just want a bloody finish and you just bang out a story because you need to get it done. But you are maybe a little bit, I don't want to use the word lazy because that's wrong, but you're a little bit like you don't dive into it as much as you might dive into other stories because it's caught you at a bad time and you don't really believe it. So you don't feel it's worthy of the attention. And mm. th those stories, uh, these stories are exactly that type of story for me, where you got to touch on it. you got to discuss it, but it isn't something that I'm going to go too big on. Uh, I mean, it, does that make sense to you? It, it, look, I, I think that if I, from my perspective, if, if I was kind of tasked with a piece um, that was around a link to Coutinho, um, I would have to ensure that in my writing, I would be critiquing it and I'd be writing down kind of, you know, I don't think this is realistic uh, because X, Y, and Z. Uh, thankfully, I mean, I've got freedom of, of my opinion pieces to be able to do that. And I know that may not be the case for everybody, but yeah, I mean, if it was, if, if that's kind of, if that is where it's originated from, you know, there's always been kind of an element of responsibility, I suppose, when you're writing about Arsenal in particular. It's a club that I love, it's a club that I support, and I know there's a lot of fans that, you know, read and want to read everything to do with the club. So in your writing a story, you've got the responsibility to um, ensure that you're, you know, you're writing something educative. And if it's an opinion piece, you're making sure that your opinion's backed up with evidence and, and, and all of that. So look, I'd be frustrated if that's unfortunately where this is spawned from. Not, I mean, I've been on the, the receiving end of of outlets taking and twisting my own words. So it's yeah, it's, it's you you know it's part of the stuff that happens, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's take some of these questions uh, for the last sort of few minutes of the show, uh, Mister Joker. He says, "Who or what should I sell my soul to?" in order to ensure that Coutinho gets <laughs> Love that. Oh, dear. Love that. Um, Deepak Patel says, which central midfielder or does would you buy? So, I mean, to, I'm putting you on the spot here, Tom. But, no, it's yeah. fine. I did a video on this. <laughs> oh, there you go. So who, yeah. who comes to mind for you as, as players that you know we should be looking at? 
Yeah, on TGT, I did a, a top 10 midfielders that you, Arsenal could uh, sign. And my top three were Tyler Adams from RB Leipzig, because uh, of his versatility, can cover it right back really well in right midfields. Uh, Matthias Svanberg from Bologna, because he, he looks a real talent, this kid. And from watching him more and seeing what he's capable of, he looks like, you know, he could be Tommy Asu for the midfield from Bologna, which I know is a lazy comparison because it came from the same club, but, you know, it, it could be. And then the first choice is probably the least realistic and most expensive, but Bruno Guimaraes from, uh, from Leon is, is just the Brazilians are a brilliant midfielder. So they're, they're three options that I would go for. Yeah, yeah and, and they're good options too. Uh, Rodney says, are you worried about United and Spurs? Outside of big names at both clubs, do you really believe the football they play is good enough to compete for a top four? So I guess the question here is, is mm-hmm. are you fearful that we could get pipped to the top four by, by either of those two clubs. I think it'd be naive to say that I'm not worried what Antonio Conte can do um, in, in the short term anyway. Um, but I think that January is going to be pivotal for Spurs if they strengthen and they strengthen well, you know, they could be a real threat. I mean, they can be a real threat anyway. They've got players that can really hurt any opposition. But as shown in the game against Southampton, you know, when the pressure's on, they choke. That is a very Spursy way. It's what we call them Spursy. United, I'm less concerned about uh, than Spurs, which I mean, probably says more about their team. They should be doing better than us and better than Spurs, and they're not. Uh, and I'm not sure that Ralph Ranić's got the type of team that. He would be per. It's, it's funny because I think Ralph Ranjit could do some brilliant things with our current iteration of Arsenal with the way that we can press. But United just don't really have those players, mm. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Deflected Mind says, Where do you want us to finish this season, Harry? Personally, I would love to win the Europa League next year, that UEFA trophy we've always lacked. Yeah, look, I'd love to win the Europa League as well. I've never seen Arsenal win a European trophy. The last one they won, I was a little kid and I, I don't remember it. So, for me, I want Arsenal to win a European trophy. And of course, there is a greater chance of us winning the Europa League than there is at the Champions League. But that doesn't mean I want to lower my standard and say that I'd prefer us to finish in the top six rather than the top four, just because we have more chance of winning it. I always want to be at the highest level. I cannot tell you how envious I am when I turn on Champions League football and I hear that Champions League anthem. And I know that we don't have that and we're not there and I'm not at the ground and I'm not getting that. So, yeah, I I want Arsenal to be back in the Champions League, but I'd be happy with a top six finish because while I think objectives can be adjusted and and slightly tweaked throughout a season, I don't think they can be drastically changed. And and I'd be, you know, I'd be going against my own kind of principle if I said, well, now we're fourth, we have to finish fourth. Otherwise, it's not good enough and get the manager out. So that's where I'm. What about you, Tom? Has your... Has your opinion on what Arsenal's objectives should be shifted a great deal since the start of the season? It's shifted in terms of what I think we're capable of, but it's not shifted in terms of my expectation. Top six was always the expectation to start of the season because I believe we had the fifth best squad in the league. Nowhere near a top six coach, in my opinion. I think there are coaches better than Mikel Arteta in the league, not down to him being bad or anything, just because I think there are more experienced and, you know, coaches that have, have achieved greater things than him at this point in their careers. I think he could gone to achieve some great things and I think the expectation must if we finish in the top six and not the top four I don't think we can be I think you can really point the finger and go our oh, terror has to go because we've not finished in the top four um I think people will uh but uh I don't think you should I think that top four is would be an amazing achievement and an overachievement for this group of players and the manager but uh top six is still for me the was always the expectation if he doesn't achieve that though as I said at the start of the season I think there's a, a conversation to be had about his future 
Yeah. Uh, and I say that too. And I'm one of his mm. biggest supporters and defenders. Uh, I've been called his lawyer at least three times a week for the last oh, you, couple of years. people so. out there, honestly. That's bad, isn't it? I, I, apparently, mm. I'm I'm a really good lawyer. Um, mm. I should have pursued a career in law and I should be charging Granite Xhaka and Mikel Arteta for my services. Wow. Maybe I'd be a richer man. Uh, let's take one more. Um, a couple of people asking if the the whole Ainsley Maitland-Niles to Roma thing is <laughs> oh, dear. Sorry, I was just reading Terence Tibbs' comment where he's put, uh, uh, I'd give Harry's beard a match day rating of 8 out of 10 and Tom's beard a match day rating of 2 out of 10. Well, look, Harry can grow it. I can, you know, I just it's not really anything. <laughs> Mate, this this beard is out of control. I mean, it's, it's not even been that long since I trimmed it. I'm going for You're a You're just boasting now, mate. It's yeah. hurting my feelings. <laughs> no, man, honestly, like initially you're like, oh, that's not, you know, when you first grow facial hair, you're like, wow, this is cool. Yeah. Yesterday, and, and, and I <laughs> and I love this, and I can't wait to to you know to to shape it up and go out and and then you get to the point where it's annoying and it irritates mm. you and it itches you and you just want to get rid of it all the time. Uh, it's pure laziness that I don't because I'm not a massive sort of beard enthusiast, really. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, quickly, just finally on the Maitland Niles to Roma mm. stuff. That's a story that's getting a lot of traction first surfaced a few days ago it's still kind of rumbling on um do you believe this to be true do you think Ainsley Maitland-Niles could be outbound do you think that Roma is a is a likely destination for him yeah absolutely I'd, I'd be shocked if he survives the window um not like in life um <laughs> just you know stays at Arsenal by the end of the window um I think that Roma looks to be the favorite I'd be surprised if there aren't any Premier League sides like say Everton or Newcastle that aren't also looking at him and if there aren't others trying to fight for his signature Arsenal will need that and they'll want there to be interest because Roma the last I kind of heard around this was that Roma weren't really willing to go above 10 million euros of an option and Arsenal were looking closer to 15 million euros for an option so and we know what they were like with Xhaka in the summer so I wouldn't put that beyond the, the, the realms of truth and so hopefully Arsenal will be hoping that there are Premier League sides out there that are willing to kind of match their demands and that may force Roma to act a bit more but yeah my expectation is that he will be gone before the end of the window which means in turn surely we have to sign a midfielder yeah it, it makes sense doesn't it and and you're mm. right it is um it is one of those things where we'd be you know le leaving ourselves maybe in a position where we could be a little bit vulnerable but you know it's we, we've got to that point with this player now where it's not really fair on him to keep hold of him any longer really is it um just quickly there's over 400 of you watching us live right now, and we've only got 71 likes on the board. So what on earth is going on? Hit that like button. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. Make sure you check out the Guna Talk TV as well. Um, I, I, I want to bring up this question. I, I'd normally not bring this up, Tom, but I want to bring oh, this no. up. Because, <laughs> no, no, no. I want to bring this up because I was asked this same question yesterday, and I didn't answer it. So I think it's a good time to answer it because we're both in a similar position where we started podcasts mm. and that has led to us. It's been a massive part in why mm -hmm. we now have full-time jobs in the football media world. And I've been asked this question yesterday and a couple of times previously. I guess the question here... How would you and, answer it? Like, How would I answer this question? Mm. So if this was... And I, and, and I don't know, was it you, Akene, that asked this to me? Somebody asked this to me yesterday on Twitter. I would answer this question in this way. It's not arrogance. It's a confidence in what you're doing. 
And it's a confidence in the fact that your work is seen in the eyes of some people as, as being good and something that they gravitate towards and enjoy. And I don't think that's arrogance. I think it's confidence. And you, you go from being unconsciously good at something, as someone mentioned to me yesterday, I think this was summed up really well. You go from being unconsciously good at something to consciously good at something. So that changes the way you approach it a little bit. And that confidence mm. comes through in, in the way you deliver it afterwards. Mm. So I don't think it's arrogance. I think arrogance is the wrong word. I think it's confidence and belief in what you're doing because you've been rewarded for it. So why yeah. wouldn't you? Isn't that natural? Yeah, I think there is. I think I'd be lying if I said that there's never I've never been there's never been an element of, you know, possible arrogance in my character in the past. Um because I think that, as you said, confidence, there's a there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And I think sometimes it's very it's very easy to cross that line sometimes because you get so kind of caught up maybe in the numbers, in like how many subscribers you've got or the job that you have. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to kind of stave that back, I suppose, sometimes. What I would say is that I think that, and if you watch both of our shows, um, and as I say, you should be subscribed to both, um, is that, this is a this is an industry where we talk about our opinion on different topics and you know we've got to we've got to produce content that people want to listen to that people you know can be convinced by what you're saying or can be convinced otherwise of their own opinions or can be debated with it's i think if you saw like say a farmer that's going and doing their job or someone who works in in taxes and does their job it's different when they're confident in what they're doing but when your job is to talk about your own opinions, I think that, as you say, Harry, confidence can sometimes be misconstrued as arrogance because of just the style of of our own of our job, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's fair to ask the question, as as I always would welcome questions asking. Uh, I love Mikey's word hubris as a possible alternative. But, yeah, I think that people can misconstrue confidence as arrogance all the time. And I think that I've definitely been, for just from self-reflection, I'm not going to speak for yourself, Harry, but, like, just for me, I've probably been a little bit arrogant in, in the past at certain things. But I think I've definitely learned from those moments to be a little bit more, you know, try and be a bit more grounded and understanding and reflective. I think I was arrogant during the start of Arteta's era because I was so headstrong about Arteta being the right man for the job that actually I really did discard kind of any kind of opposite view of it at times. But since then, have grown to be more understanding and more open to the opposite view. And, and my own views change because of that. So I think that's how I would answer it. I don't think that like being strong about your opinion, though, or, or your belief or, mm. or believing in what you're saying I don't think that's arrogant at all. I think that's, you know, why would you go out and say it? I think that shows that you're genuine. I think if you, you really believe what you're saying, it's mm. because it's coming from the right place, whether that's something that people agree with or disagree with. I think if you're going with the wind and you're saying what you think people want you to say and what you think people want to hear, I think that's selling yourself short. I think that's somebody who doesn't have confidence and the conviction in what their their own beliefs are to then kind of have the balls essentially to go out yeah. in a public domain and and put that out there. So, and Akene said that maybe he used the wrong word, and, and but it's an interesting mm. question because people have said to me that the way I do a podcast now has changed to what it was. And prime mm. example of this: the first time I ever went into Talksport. And I sat down with Andy Goldstein and Jason Cundy on the sports bar. I, I felt like I had to agree with everything they said. 
Yeah. I felt like I had to put my points across, but also not disagree because it was in my mind, like, who the hell am I? I'm this guy with this little podcast and they're these massive national nationwide kind of broadcasters. Mm-hmm. Who the hell am I? But the more you do it and you become more comfortable and you trust that you can deliver an opinion that is different in a way that is is clear and concise and you're making your points in an educated and smart way, Mm -hmm. I don't like then you feel more confident to then challenge those debates and have those discussions. But I don't think that's arrogance. I think that's growing. I really do. Um, Some people might disagree in the chat, but I honestly see it that way. I think. The, the, it comes over as confidence and I think that is a sign that you are going in the right direction yeah I think arrogance would be refusing to answer questions like that um mm. and you know to, to to take those types of criticisms head on and maybe like if I get what you're saying about kind of like maybe I'm misconstruing what arrogance is um you know I think it's not the it's, I mean from a personal point of view I kind of take it on the chin in the sense that it's not the first time I've it's been said to me personally and not kind of outside of also this job like when I was in teaching uh I first went into teaching with a with an attitude of you know I can kind of do this now I like what I do I know I can teach the subject that I taught and I think that came across as arrogant and maybe it did and maybe I've carried that personality through so maybe people think of it that way um but I hope that if I was in the past I'm not now if that makes sense so yeah I I don't think you're arrogant I think that I don't think you're arrogant. I don't think I'm arrogant. And and I'm saying that because I've been asked a question. We've both worked extremely Mm. hard to get into this industry (sighs) from completely different ones. And if at some point we didn't pause and say, well, we must actually be to a certain level at what we're doing to have got to where we've got to, which is still not the top, you know, there's still a long way to go. We've both, I'm sure got massive aspirations to keep going, but to, to, to have made that transition you know, you have to, you have to give, you have to pause sometimes and give yourself a pat on the back. And if people mm. take that as arrogance sometimes, then, then so be it. But that is certainly not the case. Um, so I just wanted to, 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 t- oh, yeah. I that like that kind of, kind of conversation. This is yeah. kind of the conversation. And I said, I think people in the chat box have appreciated it as well. Like, I think it's, yeah, this type of conversation is healthy. So yeah, good stuff. Right. Perfect way to end the show. Um, make sure you hit the like button. If you haven't done so already, we've hit one, two, five, let's get up to one fifty by the time the outro plays, make sure you subscribe to the Guna talk TV. Make sure you give uh, Tom a follow at Tom Canton media on Twitter. And we'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.